it's fellatio uh, 20880. Felicia. It's a, it's a new exchange. F-E. How do you spell it? Capital F-E-L-L-A-T-I-O. Hey, it's Ryan from the Moody's Dead World. Uh, we're back again with our Blood and Black Rum podcast, and this time we're taking on a Christmas movie, because it is it is the season. Um, up here in upstate New York, we have um, a very green Christmas. I think the grass is regrowing itself. Normally, we'd uh, be in for kind of a... Two feet of snow. Yeah, I mean, nor'easter weather is generally what, we've, what we get uh, now, but... Um, it's been about 50, 50 degrees at, at 55 at times. I mean, we've been almost breaking 60 degree weather here in uh, the middle to late December season, and it's kind of crazy, actually. Global warming's not a thing. It's not a thing. I don't know what that is. I don't know why they keep saying that. No, no, no. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's strange to like watch movies during the Christmas season, and they have all their fake snow. Because I feel the same way. I feel like I want to go outside and just start making some fake snow because it just feels so weird. You might as well just go up to uh, go over. Well, they're trying. They're, the mountains are trying to make their fake snow, but it just keeps melting because it's so fucking hot right now. It, it, that and it keeps raining. Yeah, and yeah, it keeps raining. It's, it's Seattle weather. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand it, but you know, it's becoming sort of a weird. I mean, it's just super weird. It's I, I don't know. I, well, I, a lot of people around here who are big into snowmobiling starting to get pissed off too. Yeah, I I, I know, and I, I don't get it. I don't. I just don't get it. I uh, I don't know, but it it doesn't feel like Christmas here. But we decided that we would uh, try to get into it anyway. And um, Martin has never seen Black Christmas before, so the original Black Christmas, not Black Xmas, not the one that tried to change the name all up for the remake, <laughs> uh, get a little edgy on it. Um, this is the Bob Clark version. And for anybody who doesn't know, Bob Clark worked on Black Christmas first. And then he decided to move on to writer things. And so he he uh, went on to make A Christmas Story. The Maybe. seasonal classic that is played every year on TBS, sometimes TNT, whatever, you know. Whatever they CBS is looking to play it on uh, for 24 hours straight. Starting to ruin it. Well, you don't have to watch it for 24 no, hours. No, I know, I know, but just like, just seeing the ads and all that, like, around Christmas time, like, don't forget, playing Christmas Story 24 hours, and you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah. You know, it went from being like, you know, I mean, it's a good Christmas movie, but I mean, it is. It's a good Christmas I mean, movie. I, I, I'm Ralphied out. You're I'm Ralphied out. I, you can never be Ralphied out because I've always got to watch it at least one time a year. Bob Clark's a master at Christmas. He's a master. I, I, I've got to say, he's a, he's a master. Should tackle Kwanzaa next. Yeah? Or Hanukkah. Uh, I, I don't know if he's got anything left in him. <laughs> but um, Black Christmas is one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite horror movies. 
it's 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 up there. And um, knowing that you hadn't seen it, we had to watch it. Yeah. I had to I had to get you in on this, especially that you know I've covered it so many times in different ways for my for my site. I've covered it uh, straight. You know, I just did a review of it. I've done a Black Christmas drinking game, which we did not participate in. I, I it would have been a little too much, I think. Um, we I've done new, you know, just numerous posts about it uh, in, su- in in some shape or form. Yeah, any ways that and, that I could and elaborate on it. And I've gotten to the point where like it's hard to come up with like new ways to 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 talk about it. But it is one of my favorite movies in the horror genre, and. Um, it, it really helped pave the way, in, in no small part, for slasher films. I, I mean, you did have, uh, back in, in 1974, when it was released, there were some other um, slasher-type films which were going to fall more into the Jalo category. Um, Italian horror films that, um, you know, people like Mario Bava, Blood and Black Rum, comes from Mario Bava's film, Blood and Black Lace, but a um, little, little note there, but um, you know, you had your, your Italian horror working on it, um, but really, uh, Black Christmas is, is one of those movies that... Wasn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre out by this time? It would have been, yeah. So that's, you know... And it, you've got to, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that you know, uh, Black Christmas is the, the first slasher by any means. It, it definitely wasn't. There were always, you know, movies before it that had that sort of um, intention, but Black Christmas really helped pave the way for American slasher films um, and influencing Halloween to a great deal. Um, so we we really have Black Christmas to thank for a lot of that. Not just like I said, not not the only thing to thank for it. And really, one could say that Bob Clark was really branching off of the popularity of using you know black in the title. We've got like Black Sabbath, Black Sunday. They're all coming out. Black exploitation. <laughs> well, that's a little different, but uh, they're all coming out around the same time period. Um, but really, the POV shots that Black Christmas use, uses is uh, is one of the big things that really you know helped to again pave the way for Halloween. John Carpenter taking lots of influence from that, um, and then also you know stealing from their Italian counterparts. Uh, it was a big thing back then. So, um, I I prefer Black Christmas to some of the earlier Jalo films that we have. Um, and when you take a look at what Black Christmas presents, it is very similar to how a Jalo would be, uh, how one of those earlier Jalos would be set up. Um, you have your you know your mysterious killer. You have um, something like um, Who Saw Her Die uh, is a Jalo film. Um, that you probably have not seen. No. Um, also set in the winter. Also set during um, uh, the search for a missing girl. Um, very similar um, to Black Christmas's little divergence from its regular plotline in this film of uh, a girl gone missing, um, and there's a search party out to find her. Uh, you know, during the during the holiday season, when also these these sorority girls are getting their phone call um, for a, a menacing phone call from. Um, you know, a, a man that has been plaguing them. Um, just looking up Who Saw Her Die, released in 1972. Uh, I knew it was around this time period, so it actually was um, before Black Christmas w- released and very in, very similar to it. Um, music composed by 
Ennio Morricone. Um, so, um, who can forget Ennio's great scores for, like, the Man With No Name trilogy and my favorite of them all, uh, Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Really phoning that one in. You, <laughs> you, uh, making the donkey braying noise with, like, the instruments. That, um, that, that's a joke. But that's that's an end joke. That, that's an end joke. But uh, so we're here to talk about Black Christmas. Uh, Martin's kind of the virgin of it, so it was his first time seeing it. I'm kind of like the veteran. I've seen it dozens of times, and I try to watch it every year. So you're gonna get like the interplay between us. It's like back and forth of Martin's being his his amateur opinion, and I say that because <laughs> he's already told me that he just thought it was okay. <laughs> so he's he's definitely got an amateur opinion on that, and I've got the more veteran uh, approach to it. So. Easy, Raj. But first, it's another edition of what we're drinking. You know, we actually probably should hire somebody to do, to do sound effects or do, something. To for do that. the techno beat for. Well, I could do <laughs> it. I could do it. You just we just got to figure out what I want, and then yeah, I can that, go all loop on the third. Well, no, no, that's what I was gonna say. You should just. Take Island of Assassins, Lupin movie, add the drum, you know, the ridiculous drum machine, and I'll just use that as the, I know. Because I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Yuji Ono's not going to be listening to this. He's going to be like, somebody's using my music. Oh, uh, well, yeah. we got to take that and, and run with it. But, um, yeah, we really should. We should get it like a little intro to this and then do commercials too. We should, we should do ads for people. <laughs> You know, if they want to send us an ad, we'll pop it in the middle. We'll take a little commercial break, come back for our beer session part of it, and then move on from there to the... We'll do another commercial, maybe two, and then move on to our uh, our movie discussion. And then we'll just do all, we'll just do all commercials. Mm. Sponsored by... <laughs> InBev. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't want to sponsor us. We'd come back and say, that beer pretty much sucks, so... You might not want to buy that one, <laughs> but um, today we have a little treat again. It's another beer that we've never know. had before. Another know. another new beer. I don't know if I'd call it a treat, but well, <laughs> we thought it was going to be worse than it is. We were oh, actually yeah. thinking about creating a new podcast, <laughs> um, you know, from the makers of Blood and Black Rum podcast, um, that we were going to call Disappointing Bruce, and um, you know that was going to be just solely for beers like what we have today, the Yingling IPL. Um, beers that, you know, sound exciting, but they are really not when you when you actually crack them open. Fortunately for Yingling, they've done a pretty good, I mean, they've done a, I'll say, I'll quote Martin here, an okay job with their IPL. And it's, well, yeah, I mean, you can't, it's okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think um, saying anything more about it than just meh, it's okay, would be giving them too much credit. Grant, I used to like Yingling was a college beer for me. It, like it was up there with like Labatt. It was a go-to like college beer. They're uh, traditional lager. They're amber lager. Um, and I used to like Yingling quite a bit. Now you know, over the years, it's something I will only buy when I'm like. Well, I haven't had a Yingling in a long time. Well, you know, mm. give it a go. And it's not that it's a bad beer, because by no means is it, uh, Yingling a terrible lager. It's actually 
a pretty flavorful lager considering what, you know, like Miller and Bud and Coors, their standard, you know, go-to mm. lagers are. But when it comes to Gingling's offerings outside of their standard traditional lager, it's been great disappointment after great disappointment for me. A couple of years ago, and Ryan can attest to it, I bought their Oktoberfest when they first came out with it. I'm like, oh, England's at Oktoberfest? Okay, this go. This should be, you know, because we both love Oktoberfest. It's one of our favorite styles of beers. And we get disappointed because uh, they're only out for like a month and a half, two months before, you know, everyone starts taking them off the shelves. Yeah. And we tried it, and it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yes, it was. Skunky. It wasn't like really malty at all. It was watery. It was... No, and when you're having an Oktoberfest like that, you're expecting to to taste fall. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the reason why you get them. And Sam Adams, which we, you know, hail so much for their Oktoberfest, just is able to do that. But it's not even like a traditional Oktoberfest. Because Sam's Oktoberfest is more like an American style. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's more malty, whereas the traditional German style, it's kind of a light, it's Mm -hmm. a lighter style Mm -hmm. of beer. But Yingling's... Oktoberfest is neither. It's, you know, mm. it's not like a light, you know, fall style beer or like the heavy multi style beer that you'd see from like Sam's or Harpoon or who, you know, the brewers that make an American style Oktoberfest. Right. So that was, you know, a terrible beer. I've also tried your porter before, and I know you haven't, and it's very disappointing. No, it tastes yeah, I haven't nothing, had that. Tastes nothing like a porter. It's t- terrible. And I've had their uh, black and tan before, and you have too. And that's a terrible black and tan. It tastes awful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go well at all. It's... So when I picked this up, because I haven't, I haven't tried the summer wheat yet, because one, that just sounds terrible. Two, it's a Hefeweizen, and we both hate Hefeweizen, so that's going to take a lot of uh, prying for me to get the, yeah. to try that, but... I saw this today at our lo- one of our local gas stations that they had an India Pale Lager out, and not a lot of uh, breweries make an IPL. It's kind of a new thing, you know, another play on IPAs, where it's supposed to be hoppy like an IPA, but kind of smoother like a lager. Right. Um, and we've tried a few IPLs. Uh, I can't specifically point out any... Uh, uh, IPLs that we have had. I, th- I think Saranac is one. Mm, yeah. Saranac makes one. Then, yeah, but I can't think of any other IPLs. I, I think I've had really... like two or three other ones, but I can't remember who. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, yeah, they're good. It's like a lighter IPA. Yeah, I can't Not really... quite like a session IPA, session IPA or, you know, but... But anywho, tried it. And surprisingly, it's pretty hoppy for uh, what you'd think Yingling would do for... Uh, an IPL. It's actually pretty damn hoppy. It does have like a metallic uh, aftertaste to it, which Yingling's lager kind of has too. So yeah, I mean overall, it's a pretty drinkable. It's yeah, it's drinkable. It's light. Uh, yeah, but really, the thing that I notice most about it is that metallically undertone that it has, and that that to me is like yangling all the time. Like that that comes out to me, especially when I'm drinking just their regular flagship beer. Mm. Um, and that's kind of why I really stay away from yangling. I don't like their the originals like metallic taste. I don't really know what whatever happened for me to like like kind of like shy away from yangling. I don't know if it's because I fell in love with Jenny 
mm-hmm. as like my go-to like kind of cheap beer, as like my drinkable beer, or what. But I like, like I said, college it was all about Yingling for like just about everybody. Yeah. And I, in our my little uh, townhouse group, we uh, we all basically drank Yingling. But I'd be, I'd mix it up. I'd buy a Labatt every now and then, just you know, yeah, because like I'm a Bills fan, so they have a Bills games. But uh, but yeah, it's good. Um. If you're curious, you like Yingling, I'd say try it. If you're curious about what an IPL is like, I'd say try it. Other than that, I wouldn't recommend buying it consistently. It's $10 for a six-pack, and, you know, it's for what it is. It's yeah, I wouldn't say it's worth the money, but yeah, I'd say if you're curious, give it a shot. Um, I think Yingling, Yingling is, is one of the bigger brewers in America. They're not like as big, nowhere near as big as Butter, you know, Millers or Coors, but they are America's oldest brewery, and they, are, you know, I feel like they're kind of trying to go in the craft. They they know people are trending toward craft beers, and they don't have the money to kind of like be like Bud and just start buying all the craft beers out. Yeah. So you, know, they're trying to experiment and come out with like new things that are kind of like it, which would explain the Oktoberfest, the summer wheat, mm-hmm. the, the IPL. So I mean I, I give them props you know for trying you know to branch out and yeah and they I mean yeah like I said they didn't really this isn't a bad job by any means the the lager part of it I don't really think comes out you know no. there's no like no. distinction here that I can taste between like the lager and an IPA um which like I like I had said before when we first cracked these open I think that they hopped this up a lot to overpower their normal metallic-y sort of, like, thin taste to the regular Yingling beer. So, that might be why. Maybe the, maybe the hops are really just overpowering the rest of what, you know, a lager would traditionally be. But I'll be honest, I whenever they, you know, companies come out with IPLs, and I have one, I, it's really hard to tell a difference between an IPA yeah. and an IPL. Well, like, like like we said a thousand times before on the podcast, we're, we are both pretty IPA'd out. Like, an IPA used to be one of my favorite styles of beers, and now it's kind of gone down my list quite greatly, because I'm like, oh, great, you came out with a red IPA. Oh, now you got a black IPA and a white and a rainbow and a, you know, it's... Yeah. yeah. Just so many different colors of IPA. Like, the only, like... Out kind of like India pale style that I thought like that came out that we tried recently that I thought was really good and was something different. This is going back like like five years ago now. Mm. Is like when Saranac came out with her white white IPA, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I wish they still came out with that. And upstate New York's Oh uh, that's a really good yeah their India Pale good. Wheat Ale. Yeah. Which is like a mix you know, kind of like a Belgian wheat. Yes. Which is a white IPA is supposed to be kind of be like, but this one's kind of more heavy on the wheat ale instead of hops. Like, like an yeah, like an IPA, and that was really really yeah, good. I, I like theirs a lot, a lot as well. But we can't forget to throw in their Amagang with their Belgian pale ale, which I really enjoy as well. Yeah, but I think I think that's just supposed to be more of a. It's just a Belgian version of the pale ale. It's not supposed to be an IPA, so it's like yeah, like an English pale ale. Or it is, yeah. But I mean, I would still say that there's is a good take on the pale ale yeah. spectrum, which is sad because you don't you don't really see it that often. So around yeah. which, and we live only an hour away from Cooperstown, so it kind of sucks that they don't really release it in big batches anymore. You kind of have to. 
I know when yeah. I go to our like local areas, I get them kind of like, hey, can you order this in? Like if they don't put it in a bottle, they don't have it around here very often. Too busy making Game of Thrones stouts that taste like nothing. <laughs> mm, Alright, we're 20 minutes in. We should get to the movie, don't you think? No. So, <laughs> so when I, the movie ended, and um, you can kind of, in the background of this podcast, you can hear the end of the movie continually ringing and ringing and ringing. It just goes on. And it on just on. goes on. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And so I was sitting there kind of giddy, like, oh, I love that part. You know, just, ooh, all amped up. Ooh, that was so great. And uh, uh, I said to Martin after the credits rolled, because we watched through the whole credits, uh, the ringing continues throughout the credits as, like, sort of a kind of pervasive atmosphere to it um, that, you know, you can't get away even when the credits are, are uh, rolling. Um, so I, I said to Martin, you know, when it faded to black, so what'd you think? And he just said... It's okay. It was just okay. So I want to start there with our podcast because I, I wanted to kind of let him take the stage and, and explain why to him Black Christmas, uh, a classic, <laughs> I'm making him feel guilty here, uh, is just oh, okay. Well, to be fair, if I told you like, hey, we're going to watch Citizen Kane today or The Godfather and at the end of it, like, what'd you think? You'd be like, it's okay. Then I'd then I'd be flipping out and be like, you, you know, do, well, we do did, it. I did do that with The Godfather. You, no, you fell asleep. Granted, granted you, I was sick, no, so you, I didn't really. No, you fell asleep, yeah. so we never bothered finishing it. So I you, didn't really get the gist of the whole thing. But. <laughs> so you, you'd have to actually rewatch it because you didn't watch it. But. Right. Um, it's not that I dislike the film. Because I don't. I do think it's good. I, um, I do like, I do like the ending. I, it is. It is, like, entertaining and suspenseful in how, like, the, the, the officers and all of them think, you know, they wrecked, you know, case solved, but it's actually not. Um, the way it ends, I do like how the phone, you know, keeps ringing. The one question I have is the officers outside, why the hell isn't, you know, after it ringing for ten minutes, him going in, like, is that, you know... Because mm-hmm. no one's there except the one girl now who's in a coma, basically. Yeah. Um, why isn't he not come, going in to answer it? Um, that's a question I have. I mean, I know that would right. <laughs> kind of get rid of the suspense of it all, but I mean, I do, I do like how it ended. Um, that kind of bait and switch. But the thing is, you do see that coming from a mile away because the way they try to build up to it being, uh, Peter as the killer, it doesn't make sense or add up at all. Because they have shot, like, the because the one thing in particular that comes out to me is they have a shot of him outside before he sneaks into the house to, you know, to find his girlfriend to talk to her about the whole relationship when we already know that the killer is still hiding in the attic. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, you know, that's kind of, like, a flaw. It's not, like, building, it's not, like, in Scream, for instance, where when you're trying to figure out who's the killer, that, like, they're misleading you constantly and doing it well and putting the clues there that make a bait-and-switch work. Mm-hmm. So the bait-and-switch here doesn't really work because you know at the end of the day that he wasn't the killer at all. Right. Yeah, he's acting, becomes acting erratic and emotional, but you know it can't be him. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, um, that, you know, there's that... Uh, 
there's the whole idea that they're trying to create Peter as this killer. Um, and that they, when you get to that part, there's, there's really no way that he can be because you've never been privy to anything that the killer's really been doing. So, you know, you're always getting it from his perspective. But at that point when um, Black Christmas is, you know, switches to the exterior, you see Peter outside completely. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you see him like completely in person that at that point, you know, that's taking you out of, if that was the killer, then we've just, there's been a, a change in how he's been portrayed throughout the whole thing. Um, so I, I definitely get that. Which also adds to the whole when, at the end when John Saxon, the great John Saxon, is trying to radio the cop that's supposed to be on guard, and you see that he's been killed, you could, that would be like, that kind of tells me that they're trying to go like, oh, it could have been Peter because he was outside, so he could have killed him before right. he went inside. But at the same time, the whole time when they're doing the POV shots of the killer, he's always in the attic, and he's not, re you don't really see his movements. Mm -hmm. And no, so again, that doesn't add up at all. It doesn't make any, like, logical sense on, of, you know, that mm -hmm. being Peter. Well, I, yeah, I, I, um, you know, <coughs> I think that in a way that's, that's kind of intentional. Um, because Black Christmas sets up more than just what's happening within the sorority. Um, it, for our sorority girls, their um, obscene phone calls are directly related to the murder that took place in the park with the little, the high school girl. Um, they're directly related. So there's no, to them, there's no real, you know, idea that they are not linked in some way. But to us as viewers, it becomes clearer as we, as we kind of go through the film that they're not linked at all. Mm -hmm. That these are just two separate scenarios that happened on Christmas Eve. Um, so in a way, yes, uh, the film sets up that, you know, it's trying to create Peter as this killer, um... And then kind of takes that away because we know that it can't be. But at the same time, there are two different scenarios that are happening. And so there's maybe no possible way that Peter is the killer inside the house. But there is that kind of sense of suspicion that maybe he could have been involved in the other murder. Or the murder of the cop. Um, whatever the thing is, you know, there's no real clear, concise answer to any of these questions. Black Christmas isn't concerned with clearing that up. Um, and so, well, which, which, which is nice. I like that it's trying to make you think, you know, well, if, because if a film's trying to make you think it's it make, it's telling you, you need to be engaged in what you're watching to fully grasp it. But like, at the same time, I don't think from what you see from Peter's character that him being the killer of the child mm -hmm. out in the park or the cop, it makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. He, he's going through you know, a very hard time for him, but it's not anything. Yeah. You, that you, you can't, yeah. you can't go off of it entirely as a, as a um, motive for it. There's yeah. nothing there to present that. And I totally agree. I, I don't think that um, black Christmas does um, present at the end when you finally, you know, have some of the pieces together. I don't think that they're saying Peter was a killer at all, but I think that they're, continual reinforcement that it could be is part of the key of Black Christmas that makes it so dark and grim. Because um, there is a grimness to Black Christmas that's like pervasive throughout the film. It's a, it's a very dark and just very gloomy film. There's no, 
you know, on this happiest of nights, on this Christmas Eve, there's really no happiness besides the cops. And that is key to me as well um, for this film. Because Black Christmas to me is really about the ineptitude of police. It's really about how unprotected you are when it comes to, or at least in that time period, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, any sort of violence that could be perpetuated on you. Um, continually, we see them making phone calls to the local precinct where um, Nash is taking the phone calls and really doesn't give a crap about anything that they're saying. He really doesn't take it into consideration. It's probably just your boyfriend. She's probably, you know, she's probably not missing. She's out with her boyfriend. Um, there's this kind of blame placed on the victim that we see throughout, um, not just with police, but also with Peter blaming uh, Jess for, you know, wanting to kill their child. That's really unborn. That's, um, you know, in, uh, in the possibility of being aborted. Um, there's that placing of blame on other people that is really throughout Black Christmas that I really like. And so that ineptitude of the police really comes through as, you know, part of the, the whole theme of the film. Um, so when you mentioned like the, the phone ringing at the end and no one's picking it up, yes, it's, it's exaggerated. You know, you would think someone would pick it up at that time, but again, they're, the police there are inept. Um, there's no, they leave her alone inside the house. Yeah, which, like, it makes no sense. You'd right. think they'd have, like, a guard there, like... Yeah, exactly. You know, like, the big, okay, when she wakes up, you know, you tell whoever needs to be contacted, and... Yeah. It, I mean, they, they leave her there. Um, there's a police officer that gets shot in the ass with buckshot. Um, you know, trespassing, t- trespassing, I use that well, bird, lightly. Bird, bird shot. Yeah. I mean, bird. If it was shot, he'd be dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, with, he's trespassing on property. Um, throughout, instead of going, yeah, which I, I said, like, why the fuck is he not at the hospital? Right. He's been shot. Yeah. Oh, so, no, they go, he goes to the office and you're all laughing. Like, oh, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, throughout, Bob Clark is really presenting this to us that, you know, despite the fact that we have this force that should be containing, you know, the violence that's going to be happening at the sorority. It's really not, you know, something that can protect you. Um, even, you know, even though I hate to say it about John Saxon, because I really do, I, I love the man. I love him in all the movies that he's in, especially in the horror genre. Um, he is also not the brightest person, even though, you know, he's the lieutenant. He's the detective that's tr- attempting to, you know, solve this case. Um He's not even there for most of it. He's not at the house. He he stops in. He does a little investigating. He questions, you know, um, Jess on her relationship with Peter. But there's no follow through, and and that itself is you know is sort of interesting because um, you have the detectives who are supposed to be a lot you know a lot su- supposedly smarter than Nash, but at the same time they're busy laughing at a fellatio joke in the office rather than following up with any of the things that are going on at the sorority house. Um, so, you know, there is a, a lot of that happening in black Christmas, which I really love. And it just further cements the atmosphere of the whole thing that it's very dark. It's very gloomy. There's that presence of the wind throughout the film. Now, that does it say, do you think it's intentional kind of, uh, satire, like pointing out, 
the ineptitude of the police and how they're supposed to be protecting you and they're not doing their job? Or do you think it's kind of like how we think uh, Dawn of the Dead? Like, it's just... It's there, but it's not intentional. In this scenario... You, know, you could be reading too much into it. In this scenario, I think that um, Black Christmas really does have that present. Um, maybe not in the same... Maybe not in the ways that I'm discussing it. Um, but I think that in some small part, there is that that uh, semblance of a, a theme there. I mean, at least with Nash alone. I mean, because it is a horror film trope to have in a police. Right. Like, in, like, for instance, Halloween. Yes. You got Dr. Loomis running around shouting the entire time Michael Myers has escaped, he's a maniac, and he's going to kill. And he's just going to kill and kill. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know what the fuck you're talking yeah. about. I, th- I think it's... For me, it, it, I mean, I don't think I'd read that much into it. I would say it's more just kind of a trope of the genre. It's, it's a means to the end for the story. Mm-hmm. Because if you had police that were competent and, like, posting guards here and, you know, doing, you know, actually doing their job thoroughly, then the story's not, you know, going to be as exciting. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do more with a drama aspect. Though, I mean, I will I will give them credit for being, for a small town police force, they, they are clever. They do tap the phone. They do have somebody go to the, the phone company to, you know, trace down a phone and by God, what what a pain in the ass that process <laughs> would seem to be today, you know, with everything all digital and computerized. The guy has to run through a bunch of IBM machines and find the right, you know, line where the phone's going off to figure out where the phone's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would give them credit for, you know, they are doing their job. They're yeah. just not being as diligent as they should be. And again, I think that's more of a means to the end for the story. Yeah. I think that we see it more more than you would normally would. I think because the film is consistently coming back to that. Um, there are scenes in it that really, without you know, without that theme of police being you know poor, doing a poor job, um, they really aren't necessary. Um, you know, you, you you wouldn't need that fellatio scene except for the the small bits of humor that it throws into an otherwise really bleak film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from, um, that it could be just the design of what needs to, to happen for black Christmas to actually occur mm. for the, for the idea to, to take place. Um, what do you think about the alcoholism throughout? Because that, that's a prominent thing throughout. Mm. I mean, the, there's two characters really who are alcoholic that are alcoholic. Um, and and then not just alcoholism, but um, the idea of sexuality throughout, because it, it, that again is something that kind of comes into play uh, as you know the father of Claire coming in is very much against the whole idea of sexuality within the sorority. Well, I think it has to do with more of the time. That the film was made because it was made in 1974, so mm-hmm. a big part of what was going on culturally during that time period is, you know, you got the sexual revolution, the new wave of feminism that was starting to start during that time period. So I think, uh, well, and I think being in like in a sorority situation in college like that, it was, uh, 
you know, you're able to, you can act on those things. It's like how you would say, like how like most people's college experiences are. You're in a setting full of peers your own age who are finally free from parental control, basically. And, you know, they get to do those kinds of things. They get to explore those types of things, you know. Where mm-hmm. if, if you're in high school and you're trying to, like, you know, have, like, a poster of somebody having sex and, you know, granny giving the finger and, you know, mom and dad might not like that. So, yeah, I think, I think it's mainly just, sh- it's just showing the culture of the setting of, like, how, and, and again, too, that's one of the first experiences most people kind of get to branch out and try to find things out themselves. And so I think that's where kind of like the sex thing comes from. It being more, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like the whole college, uh, college culture and being in like a sorority, especially nowadays with how people view like frats and sororities how sex is a big thing that's tied to, like, the entire culture of it. Um, And and then alcohol, it's kind of the same thing. It's, you know, college is one, especially for a lot of people, even today, with the drinking age being 21, um, it's a lot of people's first experiences to drink. And not only that, it's mainly binge drinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's kind of different in the 70s because the drinking age is different, but again, it's kind of new boundaries for, and new place for people to kind of go and experience in. And I mean, Black Christmas is actually pretty, uh, forward thinking in its feminist views. I mean, yeah, for, for the most part, it, it follows Jess and it really wants the viewer to see from her perspective how much of an imposition Peter is, um, you know, constantly asking her about the baby and trying to make it into his decision rather than, um, her decision to have it or not. Um, you know, she is the one ultimately that has to make the decision whether she's going to have the abortion or not. And she tries to have that conversation with Peter who then comes out to say, you know, well, you, you didn't ask me, basically. You didn't ask me what what I wanted to do with it. And so I think that that's a really strong point in Black Christmas um, that it really kind of even foreshadows where we're at now in, you know, contemporary politics. Um, still unable to decide <laughs> um, that, you know, that it's, it's you know, people should be pro-choice. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, we're getting into politics again here. Um, well, just, I was going to say, but I held off against that. I was going to say the ineptitude of the police is something some people could probably point <laughs> point today and say the same thing. Like, right. of how, you know, some people view modern policing. I'm not trying to pick a specific side because, same thing with the abortion thing. I'm not, I don't want to pick, like, a specific side because we're not political podcast it's a, right that'd be a podcast for a different day but i mean i think for the time period yes it is like i said like that it does fit with like the whole you know new wave of feminism and trying to expand female rights you know because she is i guess you could in a sense say a strong female lead 
I wouldn't say too strong, but I would say like, and you could say she is in the sense that like again when it comes to her boyfriend, and she's having sex with him, and she's you know when she gets she's pregnant and she's basically telling him you know this is not your decision you have no say in it mm-hmm. like whether you know doesn't really matter what you think this is how I want to do, and it comes also to when he says because he has bad piano because he wants to be a concert pianist but he had a really bad recital and he's feeling bad. And he wants to boost himself up, so instead of trying to work on becoming a better pianist and trying to think things out, his first reaction is, I want to marry you, you know, and we'll fix things that way. And she says, I have no interest to marry you because I have these other things that I would like to do, and I'm not dropping them just because, you know, you changed your plans. Right. In that sense, you could say, yes, she is, like, that's a strong female Mm -hmm. protagonist. You wouldn't see that. Really, anywhere else up at that point, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. I think it's a good moment. And I mean, because you talked about how he says, you know, he's going to marry her, but there's no asking in that. He doesn't come out and propose. Like, yeah, he will, says, will "I'm going." He, he, yeah. He, he, yeah, he no, he flat out says, "I'm going to marry you," you know. And she's like, "Wait, what? What, what are you talking about?" Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no asking in yeah. that. That's just basically a flat statement. You know, I'm going to marry you, and so. That doesn't go over well. <laughs> but so, do you think um, that you know, in in general, slasher films of the era, and and really, you know, of all eras, have worked in some ways on the sexuality of their characters, um, predicated the the murders generally predicated on um, the sexuality of the victims. Um, so, for instance. Friday the 13th is a, All about, a lot about no. the sexuality yeah. of its characters and the order in which they're dispatched is kind of predisposed by their sexual experiences. I, I don't think, again, I don't think it's a statement. Well, I, I think it's, yeah. I think again, it's more of a means to it. It's become a trope. It's become expected. Like, for instance, you know, how you have, oh, they're going to have sex. They're dead. Oh, he's the black one? First one to die. You know, it's those... It's... I would say it's more tropes than them trying to use it as a point. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, like for... I, I mean, I know you saw it. I didn't see it, but from what I read, read and heard on, like, different uh, YouTube videos and stuff, like, It Follows. Apparently, a big underlying thing for it follows is supposed to be like sexuality. Well, that's, yeah, it's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the sexually transmitted uh, uh, entity, yeah. basically. So, I mean, to me, that would seem probably, I, like I said, I haven't seen it. I don't really know. But from what I've read about it, it seems like that's kind of more. It's going, like, it's like not a trope, it's like the statement of the film. And, like, making you think about it. Whereas I would say, like, Friday the 13th, Halloween. It's more of a means to an end. It's the... Well, the reason I asked is because um, Black Christmas is surprisingly void of that sort of thing. I mean, the first victim is Claire. And, and she has yeah. been kind of hinted at. It's not It's not. never really explicitly stated, but, it, you know, she doesn't state it. But it's hinted at strongly by Barb that she is a virgin. And so the first victim being a virgin kind of really takes that out of the equation immediately that it's... It's predicated on, you know, their sexual, you know, their sexuality, their sexual experiences, 
um, anything like that. And, and but you could, but you could argue because she's in a sorority, it fits the right cliche it, yes. stereotype of what goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there's a dead mother there, but she's a drunk, and you know, she's all giddy about it, all that shit. It's you know, again, it's the whole yeah. I mean, it, 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 you could you could argue it's you know because the killer we don't know the killer we don't know his motives we don't, I don't know anything about him. For if it was based on something like that, which again I don't think it is, but if it was, for all he knows, he's in that situation. He could think like, "Oh, you're up," because the calls that he's making are all you know perverted phone calls, saying like, I'm, "You know, I want to look at your pretty pink pussy mm-hmm. in pretty pink cunt." It's perverted. So like to him, like for all he know, it, knew she could have been se- a sexually active person. He doesn't know, but again, you could be assuming from the culture, but. I don't think the film gives you enough to go any direction off of that. I th- again, I think it's a it's a means to an end. Yeah, I mean, le- yeah, I don't think that they're using sexuality as an as a um, a theme for the murders itself. But there is definitely a um, uh, something of a sexual connotation Impl- within. Well, pleasure in, from what he gets from in, it. Well, implied by what Billy says. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's easy to miss on your first on your first viewing because uh, sometimes Billy is difficult to understand, especially you know with the you know the the DVD that we watched and on the phone, um, it's kind of muffled. But he does mention an Agnes, which is we can propose his sister. Um, the voices that he's voicing on the phone are reenactments of his past, you know, and this is, you know, not something that we get from the film itself, but piecing together what he says, um, and the ways that he says it, um, we can kind of create sort of a, a, a small picture of what's, what's going on. And so the, you know, he has a few different statements that he, he utters throughout. You mentioned the one about the sexual, the sexual uh, perversions that he has. Um, but also the fact that he continues to mention uh, this person named Agnes and the, um, some of the deeper uh, voices that he puts on uh, do say, you know, Billy, what did you do to Agnes? Um, and then later in the film, which is really, it's actually really easy to miss uh, when um, Jess enters, uh, it would be um, um, Barb's room. Um, he's standing in the doorway, like kind of peering out voyeuris- voyeuristically. Um, and he says, um, you're not going to tell, Agnes, you're not going to tell what we did. And so from there, you can kind of, you can kind of piece it together. There's some sort of incestuousness there. Um, there's, there's some, something there. Um, we don't get any picture of it, you know, explicitly. Black Xmas attempted to kind of elaborate on that when it did the, the remake and kind of, uh, delve into, um, uh, Billy's past. But from what Bob Clark gives us, there is that sort of uneasy feeling that there, you know, something sexual, incestual, might have gone on within Billy's past, and that's the kind of psychological, uh, um, state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the kind of thing that has created the uh, monster that he's become. So, um, and like I said, now do you think that could be like kind of like a, a play out, like kind of inspired from Psycho? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it. I, I don't know. I haven't read too much about, um, you know, what Bob Clark has to say about Black Christmas. I haven't really seen any like special features or interviews with him. Um, and uh, Roy Moore, who wrote the screenplay, um, I, I don't have that. You know, I haven't been privy to that information. I don't. I don't know what they've said about Black Christmas previously. Um, all I know is what I pieced together from the film itself, from, mm-hmm. from multiple viewings, and you know what other um, people, you know, and Black Xmas, the remake, has has done for it. And while I don't think that Black Xmas is a uh, a good remake per se, I think that in some ways they are um, kind of on to what drives Billy within the first film. At, at the same time, I don't think that they've um, they've hit on the exact meaning behind uh, Billy's violence in this one. Um, it's just their perspective on it. Um, so they kind of differ from what I've mentioned in that film. But um, I think that's what really makes Black Christmas interesting is that they never really tell you anything about Billy, and um, you which know, which makes it scarier. It does. It the, makes the, it the fact that you don't have, you don't know why he's doing it. You don't know why he's there. You don't know what he's thinking or what he, you know, right? That you, mystery behind it is what you know. Especially during that time period where you don't have gore really to. Uh, you no, know, there's really not to, that much gore at all. No, there, it's you know, it's like Halloween once. You yes, know, you, it's, people think it's a gory film, but if it's like, have you seen it in a while? Like, you watch back, there's not, you know, mm-hmm. they leave it up to your imagination, and like I've said before, if the more you can kind of leave to someone's imagination in a horror film, the more effective it's going to be, because it makes people think the worst. And that's what this does. Like, if you ask a lot of women out there, you know, if they were walking home alone at night... And, would they feel comfortable? Yeah, would they feel comfortable? You know, if they saw some random person, you know, some random guy just, you know, just was walking behind them. They could just be a random person just walk, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you just leave it to the, them, you tell them that, like, there's just a guy walking behind you when you're walking home. Like, would you feel comfortable? And they'd probably, 9 out of 10, and say, hell no. Yeah. I don't know what they're thinking or doing. It's same thing, kind of apply, right. you know. Yeah, they leave it open for yeah. you to kind of imagine, and the imagine is the uh, scariest part. Um, I remember first seeing Black Christmas and the the opening death, uh, Claire, being kind of suffocated by the plastic bag and then kind of placed in the uh, the rocking chair in the attic window. That really kind of, that disturbed me. Um, it is, you know, really it's creative. A, it's and a, very claustrophobic. It is. It's very, um, the whole thing, the, the whole way that that opening works and in, in for the most part, all of Black Christmas is that it's very slow in, in, in plotting. Um, and, and that's, some people would call it, like my wife, would call it boring. Um, I would say slow in plotting when it's done, I don't really know how to describe it well. I would say is, you know, it can enjoy, like, for instance, The Godfather is a very slow film, but mm-hmm. the, the drama is there that builds up to it that keeps me engaged for almost the entire three hours. This, I would say, yes, it's slow and plodding. It's not a detriment to the film, but at the same time, there are points I was kind of looking like, how long is this thing? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's, again, I think that's a flaw, because I think there are just some points where 
instead of having a scene where you have Margot Kidder, like you said before, making a fellatio joke, uh, you could have just cut, you know, you really didn't need that. That kind of mm. slows the film down. It, you know, Or the several scenes you have of the dead mother just scrounging around trying to find her booze. You know, it's mm. kind of, it's filler. It's making that slow and plotting this, you know, seem that much longer. Yeah, but I mean, I think that that first scene where that, that murder occurs with the slow pace, you know, even Billy jumping out of the closet, grabbing um, Claire by the head with the, uh, the the bag and closing it around her, is, is somewhat slow. He's not, it's not a, a, a pop-out scare. You know, there's nothing, like, that's immediately popping out. There's no score that's hitting you over the head with, okay, this is happening. Um, it's kind of, it just occurs. And it's kind of slow... There's this, there's this slow, he, he comes out from the closet and he wraps it around her. And it's almost slow. It's very, that's why it's well, that, that's where I would that's where I would say that's where, like, it's building the, it up. That's, it where, it's, that's yeah. where it does, it's doing it well. It's, yeah. you know, it's building that tension of, you know, she's playing with the cat and she's like, oh, you know, what are you doing here? And then, like, just kind of slowly walking around and you see the POV shot of him in the closet kind of just, you know, looking around, heavy yeah. breathing, and then you go back to her kind of walking and looking around like, oh, I heard something, what's going on, you know, and it, it, it works. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, the there's no jump scare, it's not, no. it's very, you know. There's no jump scare and there's really, you know, like I said throughout the film, there's really no musical score that's gonna sting when there's something occurring, there's kind of the environmental ambience of it. Uh, there's the wind that occurs. And then there's the, um, the sort of clash of chords that occurs, uh, at times, just a little, a little bit of a, of a bling that, that would kind of signal Peter's involvement. Mm. Uh, that's kind of intentional there. Um, but other than that, there's really no score to speak of. There's no swelling of, of and I think it, it, it that definitely like that. works to the film's advantage. It, it, it does. It, it sets the atmosphere perfectly. And I think I think enough, not enough films kind of take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Just the regular ambience Just of the whole let, film. Yeah, let the film, you know, if it calls for being more ambient, like you don't need the music, but let, let the sound going on the scene, you know, build up the tension and the drama of what's going to happen. I mean, you can... For instance, Halloween, what makes Halloween so great is building up into those scenes, John Carpenter's score fits it so perfectly, it works with it and builds with it. If I think if you had it kind of just set to, like, ambience, it wouldn't work as well. Yeah. I think in this case, if you had a score, it just wouldn't work as well. I think it... Yeah, I, I think that the the, um, the vacuousness of the, the lack of score is really what makes this film feel really cold. It makes it mimic the whole atmosphere of the actual film. You know what's going on in the story. Um, it's cold. We can tell. Which you get that, especially from the op- opening, you know, title card. It's there's no music. You know, yeah. There's no score to like introduce the movie. It's just you know, Black Christmas. Yeah, it's and it's just the, you hear the wind. It's cold. It's very dark. There's just a lot of wind. And the only thing that really alleviates that is the Christmas lights that you have 
that are illuminating in a very traditional and still very gloomy way. I mean, they're not like the bright LEDs that we have now. You know, the things that really just kind of project out into the into space. They're very, you know, the you know, they're very dim bulbs of color and that is still, you know, they're some, they're meant to feel warm. They're meant to feel, you know, to, to dispel the night basically when when uh, during winter when we have longer days and 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 uh, night comes on quicker. That's, you know, that's what Christmas lights are meant to do. Um but in this case, they really don't help to dispel the darkness. They're they're just as dim, and and I really like that idea of um, how dim and gloomy that everything is within the film. Um, there's not much daylight. There's there's not much daylight in it. Um, there's a couple scenes of of uh, daylight outdoors, but other than that, there's not much daylight. It, almost everything takes place at night mm-hmm. um, with the lights on, and you know that to me is really one of the the most important pieces of black christmas that makes it feel like a christmas movie to me because you know you've always got those christmas lights and and yet they're they're not used in the way that you normally would see them as a as a brightness as a um uh you know cheer good cheer in mm-hmm. uh, during christmas time um so like other horror films like silent night deadly night um, while, yeah, they have Christmas in them and they, that's a major theme for it. I, I don't find them as, uh, compelling simply because Black Christmas to me really does, um, have that particular brand of Christmas, of, uh, horror Christmas that I'm looking for with all the lighting. Um, I mean, that, don't get me wrong. I love Silent Night, Deadly Night too, but, um, Black Christmas to me is, you know, the horror Christmas movie. Um, but you know, there, like, you know, I've, I've been saying that it's, it's a really grim movie, but there, there are some scenes of, uh, of comedy in it. Um, things that are, are pretty funny about it. Uh, for one thing for me, I, I can never get enough of that. The guy, I don't even know his name, but the other Lieutenant, uh, that's next to John Saxon in the film who just laughs through the entire fellatio thing. And that's kind of, to me, that's kind of like infectious because I just listened to him laughing over and over and over again. Well, the way he was laughing, it made me kind of think maybe he's the killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His laugh was like yeah. spot on. Mm. like the laughs you'd be hearing over the phone. So it's like... Yeah. That's all I really thought. But I mean, I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, it does have its like kind of like humorous bits. It does, it yeah. It is more on the dry side. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a dry film. You know, the other part of it is, you know, you've got the uh, the fraternity that's doing the Christmas party for the little kids, and uh, the one uh, frat guy playing Santa who's like, oh, 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 fuck. fuck. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I love that I think he's well. more pissed off because his afro is stupid. <laughs> he can't control it. He just can't control his afro. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I just... Yeah, I love Black Christmas. I I can't get enough of it. I watch it every year. I don't think I'll make it one of my yearly It's not going to be one of your yearly things. Well, we'll have to go on to Silent Night, Deadly Night and see what you think about now, that Now, one. one of my questions is, how in the blue hell did nobody see the dead body in the attic window? She's sitting right in front of the window. Well, I think, to me, it's valid that they didn't see it because... When we get that slow zoom out at the end of the film, when when you kind of zoom out 
and it's kind of at the perspective of where you'd be walking up to the house, it does just kind of look like a bag of stuff in the window. So I can kind of see that, you know, that in that again is going to take some suspension of disbelief. And the same thing, like I said, like how come they, like, you know, if no one checked the attic. Nobody checked the attic. Yeah. I mean, you, cops would check, I mean, again, you talk about the ineptness of the police, but at the same time, it would be part of fucking procedure. But I think to... Not not even, like, a matter of, like, ineptness. It'd be, like, they would have to check every, like, every, that's procedure. Right. That's just, like, common knowledge, like, you know, so that, that to me, like, I, again, I know, like, they're inept and it's the 70s, so, like, protocol's a little different and whatnot, but, but at the same time... Nobody bothered checking in, and when the dead mother gets killed up in the attic, she gets, you know, meat hook, pulley meat hook, rammed right through her. Her shoe drops down from the attic down to the stairs. You see it happen. I don't know if that was supposed to happen or not, but yeah, nobody was, no like, way. walking by the attic ladder and saw, like, oh, her shoe's here. What's, you know, what's up with that? Or you would think from a meat hook being rammed basically through her... Blood, you know, blood would have been shot right down. Yeah. And there would have been like, oh, there's a puddle of... I mean, I know they didn't have any blood, like, in the film. Yeah. But that, again, that's just, like, something to me that could... You could consider nitpicking, but, I mean, that to me is just... Yeah, I, it, it's hard to say because sometimes the um, the architecture of the house itself... Is confusing. Is confusing. So the, during that last shot, you kind of see the, that there's a um, a wall on the end by where the ladder is. So it's possible by the architecture that that is kind of sectioned off from the rest of the house. So you have the two rooms. Maybe no one walked over that far to see the, you know, it, that's speculation on my part, uh, just to kind of continue the suspension of mm -hmm. disbelief. But um, I, I mean, I guess I could see that, you know, that maybe no one walked over there. At the same time, yeah, you're right. You know, you would think that people would have investigated. Um, I can also see that, you know, Billy could have left the attic for a while when the police got there to finally search the whole house with their whole team because they realized that, you know, Claire, or Claire, Claire, um, Jess had uh, finally killed the killer. You know, they probably wouldn't have searched as well because they thought Peter was the killer. Um, but it's, it's also possible that Billy had left at that point and then come back because mm -hmm. we have seen him outside the house prior mm -hmm. to that. So, you know, that's there. And I'm making excuses for the film. Um, and yes, you can certainly see those as, you know, flaws to, uh, uh you know, how that occurs. And, you know, I think everything has it. You, you can't say that Halloween isn't flawed either. Well, no, I, I, yeah. no, I, yeah. no, I, I, no, I, I know, but... I trust me. I I know you know. I could watch Star Wars now, and probably if I watch Star Wars, and I show because you still haven't ever seen Star Wars, you'd probably be like, that doesn't make sense. This doesn't make yeah. sense. I'd be like, shut the fuck up. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't this is, matter. This is a masterpiece. But I, I I understand that. I think that's part of my fault. Kind of, you know, never experiencing the film and you know experiencing it, and that you know, just kind of watching it and kind of being able to spot some of those things. You know, yeah. I think it's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, there's, you know, it's got flaws and, and just like every other film, there's things that you could, 
you could say that don't really make sense, especially with horror. I mean, there's a lot of things that we have to kind of forget about in order to have everything happen. and um, Like Saw. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, to me, uh, Black Christmas is, you know, the best Christmas horror film. And, and really, I, I truly do think it's it's one of the uh, the best horror films that have has been made. So, um, you know, even, even regardless of its its influence, um, I really enjoy it, uh, and I enjoy watching it every every year for the during the Christmas season. Um, but you're not the only one to not appreciate it. You know, um, my parents when they watched it, I, I did have them watch it. Oh, they yes, were they really they really wanted to see what it was about. And they hated it. I well, mean, they hated the fact that you don't know anything about Billy. That was a that was well, a sticking point. I, 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 I could definitely see your parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were like, "Oh, we don't get that. You know, we don't get anything about Billy. I, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm that was dumb. I mean, it's not again. It's not that I don't appreciate the film. Watch, like, I, I do. Like I said, I don't hate it. I think it's, I, I, it's entertaining, but I just. Yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. I I guess yeah. I, it's I not totally that I don't appreciate. I can appreciate it, but at the same time, just be like, it's good. and I think part of it too also kind of comes down to because we haven't talked about it yet. The acting mm-hmm. outside of John Saxon and Margot Kidder, who you know who's pretty funny with her yeah. you know lines. Um, don't care for much of the acting at all, especially uh, Olivia Hussey. Olivia Hussey just try, her accent and yeah, I mean her acting is. It's wooden. it's kind of surprising how very wooden. Yeah, I mean, she I think partially um it's kind of a weird fit that she went into the horror and sci-fi subgenres during this period because she had, you know, her, her first really big movie was Romeo and Juliet, um where she did have a nude scene in that. And so that was her first really big movie, and then moving on from that, um she did quite a few uh like horror movies and sci-fi movies and things like that, um, where she even did, like, Turkey Shoot or Escape 2000 in the 80s, which was a, a you know, a, basically an exploitation film. Um, it, it's kind of weird because she started out with, like, and she definitely has that feeling of, a, a like, a, a stage actor kind of thing. Um, and so, but yeah. She, she's no Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. When doing uh, commercials. Yeah. <laughs> or Home Alone Part Six, um, but don't, yeah, don't I, knock definitely Olivia Hussey. She can get really annoying in this, especially when you because know, she's she's forced to deliver a lot of lines that really highlight her accent. And I think so, if you had, Hello! I think if you had Margot Kidder in the lead role, it would have been a much more enjoyable film because she knows how to like deliver her lines in mm-hmm. not such a wooden fashion. Yeah. That, that, to me, is, like, the biggest thing. Is she's just Olivia Hussey throughout the entire film. Her accent and the, her wooden acting is just yeah unbearable to, to me. Like, that, that to me, is what brings it down. But thank God John Saxon's there, because... Yeah, I love John Saxon. I, like, he's one of my favorite horror genre actors. So. And he looks so young in this film. Yes, he does. He doesn't look like he's in his mid-30s. No. And, you know, it's funny, because, you know, this was kind of his prime for horror movies. And, you know, he moved into later, uh, you know, 
almost a decade later doing A Nightmare on Elm Street, and he still looks younger in that one, but, you know, he's, he's starting to, to age a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, like, Black Christmas is him in his prime, really, really hitting the the high notes there for, for the <laughs> horror genre. So, yeah, I, I love seeing him in that, and um, he's part of the reason why, I, I again, I love Black Christmas so much, so. Um, but, yeah, you can only hear... Peter! Peter! So much oh, before Peter. you... Oh, Peter! Peter! Yeah, but uh, I think that Black Christmas has quite a bit of 70s style in it. Oh, God. So much. Lit- littered. You got... You got uh, afros. And you got that, and you got a little lip work going on there with all the mustaches. Margot Kidder Barb's the first uh, shot of her. She's got... Uh, Button up shirt, but it's half unbuttoned, so like you know, her tits are hanging out basically. There's that hideous sweater that Olivia Hussey's wearing that you can't, I, I don't know what it's meant to be, but it definitely looks like hands grabbing her tits. <laughs> so, um, you know, you've got that, and then you've also got, um, bell bottoms everywhere. Oh, yeah, bell bottoms. Uh, that one dude that only comes up real quick with his really long hair. His like shaggy. Oh, oh yeah, the red. The red. That's another thing. When uh, Olivia Husty's dad shows up on campus, he just finds this random. No, it's not Olivia Husty. It's Claire's Claire's dad. Oh, but, whatever. Yeah. Which he asked this random kid, like, "Oh, do you know my daughter? This is his, her name." And I was, I asked you, I'm like, "How big is this campus?" <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, yeah, I know her. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are the odds that that happened? Yeah. They're not not good, I guess, just because they're both in fraternity slash sororities. Oh, hey, hey, oh! Not only is he in a fraternity, he happens to be in the fraternity that's that is the, the sister or the brother fraternity too. Yeah. But what a coincidence! What a coincidence! Well, I'm glad at least that you got to uh, you got to see Black Christmas. So you got to see part another horror classic in the genre. So that's uh, that's always a good thing. I Half the intention of this podcast. That's right to to get you kind of acclimated with some of the uh, the other uh, parts of cinema that you haven't really experienced. Um, but you know, Black Christmas is pretty well known, and um, there are a few other Christmas movies that we could take on too that are less well known and less appreciated, and for good reason. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's Don't Open Till Christmas, which is pretty terrible. Um, the Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels are really not that good. Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 is not a... It's not a good movie. I'm not not going to beat around the bush here. It's not a good movie. But it's a fun movie. Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 is basically Part 1 retold. It's It uses scenes from Part 1. Oh, so like, it just... Yeah, it's, so it's, it's got like a, a new person in it. But it's... It's taking scenes and just like directly throwing them in, like no, you know, no, no reimagining. It's just taking those scenes and putting them in. Um, what else you got? We got um, Satan Claus. Oh, Satan Claus is not good, obviously. Uh, Satan's Little Helper. Mm, elves is. Horrible, but fun to watch. Um, I don't know why, but I'm thinking... Chucky doesn't take place on Christmas, does it? Yeah, it does. 
It does. It takes, yep. I couldn't remember if it did or not. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, I've seen Chucky before. Yep. I've seen, like, I think I've seen just about all of them. Except Child's Play. Except yeah. the last two of them. Yep. Like, yeah, Child's Play 1 does take place on Christmas. Yep. Um, that's Jennifer Tilly's meal ticket now. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, that's... And Family Guy. <laughs> Family Guy and the the Child's Play sequels is, is what she's living off of. <laughs> and probably living off of stripping or something, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would assume. I mean, Why? Just because she's got big tits? Yeah. That's what I would say. I remember her most from Hey Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Breaking poor Ernie's heart. You take the money. No, that's Oscar. I know. I just want to record it. No. You I love take, that. You take the money, Susie. You take the money. You take the money, Susie. <laughs> Could you also tell that Black Christmas was Canadian? No. No, not really? No, not really. Because there are definitely some aboots in there. Oh, I didn't hear Oh, that. yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of the lo- Maybe that's because of the low quality of the film, but... Well, the DVD you got, but I didn't hear no boots. You probably were listening more to Olivia Hussey's annoying uh, accent than, than anything else. But I didn't see no poutine in the background. <laughs> all dressed potato chips, which thank you, Ruffles, for. See now, really? have you ever seen My Bloody Valentine? No. Okay, because remember- that one you'll definitely realize is Canadian. That one, I can guarantee that you'll realize <laughs> it's Canadian. But we'll have to watch that. During Valentine's Day. Uh, I can't believe you haven't seen that either. That's another classic that you haven't seen. Is that another before classic. horror? Like, horror films? Yeah, just, horror has, like, just, really flown under your radar. Yeah, for... yeah. There's, like... There's not a lot of horror films I can remember watching as a kid. I think some of them just scared the living hell out of me. Like, I remember, like, being a kid seeing the remake of House on Haunted Hill. And, like, the first five minutes, it'd be like, oh, fuck this shit. Like when the nurse gets stabbed in the neck with a pencil and you see like the blood shooting everywhere and shit. I, mean, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck that. Hell, you know, I remember being a kid and being scared by a Misfits video. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's the Scream music video. I don't even know it. Used to scare the shit out of me as a kid. Because like, they'd be running, they're running around a hospital and they turn into like vampires and like just start ripping off like the necks and shit of people. Scared the shit out of me as a kid. I'm sure Danzig still scares kids. But for a different reason, because he's gotten so fat. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if I was like traumatized by shit like that. I was like, oh, fuck this. I'm, uh, but it was just, I don't know. No, we got to rectify that. And that's what Blood and Black Run podcast <laughs> is for. Um, but we're running out of time here, so we might as well wrap up. I did uh, see Ghost Ship, though. Oh, yes, you <laughs> have. You've seen Ghost Ship. You've seen the wire that rips apart everybody. Yeah. The terrible mud vein music. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, for Blood and Black Rum Podcast... Are we going to rate it? Definitely rate it. So, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, wreaths, what would you give Black Christmas? 7 out of 10 wreaths. Wow! That's impressive to me, because I was thinking he was going to go lower. So that's... No, because t- to me... Uh, probably because I got a teaching degree, but to me, like you well, know, I know you said you can't go like lower than a four out of ten for anything, well, really, yeah. unless it was really well, th- uh, three out of ten. Three right? out of ten. I, yeah. But I mean, for to, to me, like a five out of ten just doesn't represent average. Yeah. Like to me, that's 
That's like worse than average. You're saying. That, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know for a lot of people, it it's average, and it makes sense because it's the average. But for me, like seven out of ten is like your average. It's like an average. Yeah. Okay. I, I, like I said, I think it just has to do with me. I can have, like you know grading little shits papers and whatnot in college, but yeah. I can I can uh, I can see how that that works out because I rarely will give lower than like a six on on my site unless I've given a few I've given like a four and I've given a five a couple times but they've got to be really you know really Precious. lacking yeah yeah something that's really lacking to uh, to receive those other than that it's like six and above is generally the the rule so. I can definitely see that. I agree. Well, actually, now that I think about it, six out of ten would be like average for me. Hmm. Seven would be like above, you like know. above average. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Like I said, okay. I en- I enjoyed the film. It's not anything that I was, you know, I was greatly wowed by. But I can sit uh, sit there and appreciate the film, what it did in its time, and and I, and I do greatly appreciate the ambience of the film. And, oh yeah. And just the fact that it did a lot with not showing you a lot. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, always speaks volumes when I watch horror films, at least, and how it gets you know gets me in. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, do you think we'll be back for next week? Try to. Gotta get Christmas vacation in before we have okay. Christmas. I just recently watched it, but... You know, I can, I can always watch it again. So, you can wear your Christmas vacation shirt. I got your last Christmas. I did. I just I wore it not too long ago. But, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, we'll try to get it in. I'm pretty much off next week, so we, we should be able to get it in. So, um, hopefully, you know, next week we'll be taking on uh, something quite a bit different than Black Christmas. Um, pretty much on the other end of the spectrum. Um, Christmas vacation, uh, and that will wrap up. Finally, our- <laughs> finish out our vacation series. Um, uh, but other than that, if you uh, you know if you like what you are hearing, uh, if you uh, like the movies that we're covering, certainly let us know um, on Facebook. Facebook. Oh, I was gonna say, why don't you tell the people the tweet you got? Oh well, yes. Uh, you know, our troll uh, two podcast did get retweeted by uh, Scream Factory and. Um, the the woman who plays the witch in in Troll Two, so that was really nice. Yeah. And you know we do we do often get um, things like that. You know just just nice retweets. Uh, a lot of the time from Screen Factory, whoever runs that that Twitter is uh, really kind of generous in what they retweet because we tend to see a lot more hits and things like that when obviously Screen Factory retweets it. So uh, if they like and retweet it, then. Generally, Must be doing something right. Other people are bound to, to to do the same. So they're probably one of the reasons why my Pumpkinhead two uh, review was so well received by Lance Henriksen. So, um, but so that was very nice. So um, I can't, I can't remember, you got a retweet, retweet from Wes Craven too. Didn't you? I did. I got a retweet from Wes Craven before he died. It's very nice. That was that was w- one of the highlights uh, for my people under the stairs review. So that was a that was a highlight definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, definitely follow us on Facebook, uh, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And we're also, um, uh, we have email as well. So if you want to see any, you know, uh, movies or TV shows or what have you that we haven't covered yet that you want to see us cover, uh, let us know at Blood and Black Rum Podcast 
at gmail.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Just search us in the iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast. And then we're also on SoundCloud, which is where I generally post these first. Um, any of the podcast episodes go up there first because that's our RSS feed. Um, so we're there at soundcloud.com as well. So uh, have a listen. And that's where we get all of our stats too. So, um, you know, it's it's sometimes easier if you listen on there. And then we can, we can definitely tell you can comment on it. You can re- re- you can share it, do whatever you want, do it whatever you feel like doing. So um, that's that's a, an outlet for you. We're also on Stitcher. We don't, I mean, I don't use Stitcher that much. It kind of just automatically posts to that. But um, if you are listening in like a Hyundai or something like that, I think Hyundai is like has Stitcher in their car. Um, you know, so if you if you have something like that, you can listen to us easily on Stitcher. And uh, you know, we're we're also on the web in different areas. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter at Ryan, R-Y-N-E-T-M-I-A-D-W. Um, and that's where I post all the links and that's where we get our Screen Factory retweets and stuff like that. So uh, you can tweet us as well. And I'll definitely let Martin know that uh, we, we got some messages. So, um, you know, we're all over. And just, uh, just let us know what you're liking and what you don't like. And uh, we'll try to do more of it and do less of what you don't like. So... <laughs> thanks for listening um we'll hopefully be back next week for uh, our final uh episode of the vacation series christmas vacation and then we'll wish you a merry christmas thanks a lot